Good morning. My name is Mindy. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 24 through 38. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's John 9, starting with verse 24. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. Parents and guardians of children in preschool through fourth grade, you are invited to escort your kids to the back of the room to join Kids Commons upstairs. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, have you guys, my name is Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at Haverhill Commons. It's great to see you all here this morning. Um, you guys maybe can relate to this. Have you ever had a plan and it was all perfectly laid out and then like all of a sudden like something went sideways and like the plan was destroyed? For example, let's say you're planning to have lunch with your friend in one of the fine establishments in downtown Haverhill and you venture out to go to one of the nice restaurants and you realize it's Monday and for some reason in Haverhill, almost every single restaurant downtown is closed on Mondays. So you find yourself wandering to one of the only open establishments and you have lunch And you realize, even though you didn't plan it this way, it was amazing and great and unexpected discovery. Well, Marcus was all ready to preach this week and wrote a great sermon and was ready to go. And then all of a sudden, he got the COVID. So what are you going to do? We decided on Friday that it was probably not a great idea for him to preach after consulting our medical professionals. But how great is it to be in a relationship with another church in our area, formerly High Rock North Shore, now Anchor Bay Church, I talked to them, and Pastor Gene was willing to shuffle his schedule around this morning and to come up for us and preach for us a sermon that he preached last week at Anchor Bay. We actually are in such close relationship with them that we share the same general sermon series 
vibe, theme, concept, passages. So he's going to preach for us this morning the sermon he preached last week at Anchor Bay. Um, If you notice, it is the same passage, the same story that Katie preached on last week, but as is so often the case with Scripture and the Holy Spirit, you can read the same passage and then read it again and get something entirely different out of it. So his angle, his approach, his invitation, his challenge to us is so different than what we heard last week. So I'm excited to hear from him this morning, super excited that he is here with us, and I'm super excited that he saved all of you from having to listen to me read Marcus's sermon with several stories about me and my wife, Caroline. So <clears throat> that would not have gone so well. So please give a warm welcome to my friend and fellow pastor, Gene. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with y'all. Um, thanks, Pastor Matt, for the introduction. Uh, again, uh, my name is Pastor Gene. I am one of the pastors at Anchor Bay Church down in Beverly. Um, another posture that our churches share um, is an invitation to sit in silence for a moment, and this allows us to set aside any distractions we may have brought with us this morning. At the same time, we can ask God to help us to be in a posture to receive God's word this morning. And so after a moment of silence, I'll open us in prayer. Oh, triune God, it is such a a privilege and a blessing to be here, to worship you as one body, either here physically in this room or virtually online. Thank you for this time and space where we could uh, sing praises to you, to listen to the scriptures be read, and to listen to your word this morning. May these words fall onto uh, rich soil, Lord. May we contemplate on these words. May we be encouraged. May we be challenged. At the end of the day, may this uh, edify your church, and may may it bring glory and praise to your name, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, During my first year of seminary, I took a spiritual formation class and learned about an author by the name of Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen uh, was a prolific writer, publishing books and articles about Christian spirituality. Uh, One story he shared was about a person named Trevor who dealt with severe uh, emotional and mental disabilities. Uh, He and Trevor became dear friends over the years. Uh, Pastor Matt mentioned that uh, this might have happened at a uh, large community, and I'm led to believe that there's a large community here in Haverhill that you're partnering with, so that's super exciting to hear. Um, Henry shared how Trevor would greet him with his uh, bright, uh, radiant smile, and other times Trevor would collect uh, wildflowers for him. Henry treasured his friendship with, uh, with Trevor. Uh, Then one day, Trevor was sent to a psychiatric facility uh, for an evaluation. Uh, He went to visit Trevor, so he called uh, the hospital chaplain to schedule a lunch appointment with his friend. And at this point in time, Henry had impressive accolades. He was uh, a brilliant author, a famous writer, and a teacher at Yale and Harvard. And so when the hospital chaplain was about to pencil in his visitation, 
um, the chaplain asked if it was okay to invite other ministers and hospital staff to join him for lunch. Uh, Henry obliged without giving it a second thought. Little did he know the hospital staff made sure to bust out the red carpet for him. Upper management uh, scheduled lunch in a place called the Golden Room for Henry Nowen. Uh, this room was reserved for the most accomplished doctors and respected clergy around the community. And when Henry arrived at that luncheon, a group of clergy people and hospi hospital personnel greeted him, and they were super excited. But Trevor, uh, his beloved friend, was absent. He asked, uh, asked for Trevor, and Henry was informed that he wasn't here. In fact, patients weren't allowed in the golden room. Uh, this news didn't sit well with Henry. Uh, as he discerned what to do next, he felt the prompting from the Holy Spirit to be with Trevor. And so Henry refused to dine, with, uh, dine in the golden room if Trevor was barred from that space. Uh, there's more to this story, but I'll return to it later in this sermon. The purpose of Henry's visit was to grab lunch with his friend Trevor. Uh, but he unknowingly consented to an offer that hijacked his plans. And what's worse, he was in a space where he couldn't hang out with his friend. Trevor wasn't allowed to dine in the golden room with Henry. Trevor and patients like him were excluded from fellowship. The golden room was reserved only for hospital guests and whose staff deemed important. This experience of being otherized or being alienated isn't unique, unfortunately. Many of us probably experience this at some point in our lives. It can be the, fruit, uh, the food that we bring that looks or smells different. Or some of us can, can't participate in after-work uh, social activities because alcohol is involved. Or people may look at us with suspicion because we're a stay-at-home dad with our kids at, at the park full of stay-at-home moms. Or we've chosen to not have kids in a community full of parents. Maybe people treat us differently just because our skin color is different from theirs. Or maybe people notice that we're in a wheelchair. Being otherized hurts. But at the same time, I'm sure we've been the perpetrators of otherizing. Some of us might avoid that one coworker that misses social cues that kills the conversation. Uh, some of us might distance ourselves from people who passionately gush about really niche topics. Or maybe we show a face of disgust when we see someone representing the uh, opposing political party. Well, whatever we are the ones being otherized or the ones otherizing, this is a tale as old as time. Uh, this morning, we'll dive into a story about otherizing, about a man born blind and has an, a close encounter with Jesus through a miracle. <clears throat> and even though he truthfully testifies his experience of God, people discount him, uh, discount his testimony because he doesn't fit their paradigm. And so they otherize him and miss out on the opportunity to rejoice in God's glorious works in this man's life. Um, at Anchor Bay, we are also in a sermon series called The Gospel of John, Signs and Wonders. And back in John 7, Jesus was in a heated discussion with Jewish leaders. I mean, they debated about Jesus' ability to teach with conviction and authority without having a proper teacher. Uh, but the Pharisees didn't understand that Jesus did indeed have a teacher. 
Uh, that teacher was God the Father. All of Jesus' teachings and sayings perfectly reflected God the Father. And then part of chapter 8, the Pharisees tested Jesus, bringing him a woman caught in the act of adultery. And as religious leaders waited for Jesus to condemn her for her sin, he pointed out that they were guilty of sin just as much as she was. But instead of condemning anyone, Jesus chooses love and mercy. And as we make our way through the Gospel of John, we'll spend our time in John chapter 9, again, that Mindy read for us this morning, in which Jesus heals a blind man. Uh, Jesus is still in the temple grounds, probably during the ancient uh, Jewish holiday called the Feast of Booths. Then there's a man off to the side of the road, probably begging for money. Uh, back in Jesus' day, people with dis uh, physical disabilities were pushed off to the fringes of society, required to beg in order to eat and survive. This blind man catches Jesus' attention. However, Jesus isn't the only one who notices this man. The disciples are also aware. And this prompts them to ask Jesus the following question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, these disciples, at least give Jesus uh, a, cup, a cup of coffee before asking this hard-hitting question. Jesus naturally takes it in stride, though, and responds with an answer that's just as challenging to discern as the disciples' question. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, these two verses are packed with theological content that's denser than rush hour traffic on 128. And so, and so let's take uh, just a brief second to address it. Uh, the two disciples need, uh, uh, the disciples' question needs to be unpacked into two categories. First, they're wondering who to blame for this man's blindness, and they want to blame it on sin. So whose sin was it? Was it the man's or his parents'? Uh, this begs the question and the concept of generational sin, uh, which is the concept that churches throw around pretty often. Does generational, sin, uh, does generational sin mean that one generation can sin and the next generation has to pay for the cost of it? The short answer to this question is no. Uh, each generation is responsible for the sins it has committed during its lifetime. However, there is an unfortunate reality of sin that isn't mentioned, but maybe it should be. Sin, has, uh, sin can have repercussions that can affect uh, future generations. Uh, one way to look at it is generational trauma. We inherit the consequences of, the, of previous generations' choices. So if there is an unhealed wound in our parents' generation, or maybe a trauma that hasn't been addressed, it can get passed on. And even at a biological or genetic level, it's not about punishment here. It's about inheritance. And so this is an important note for parents and guardians. We have to deal with our stuff so that the, it doesn't end up impacting the next generation. We always want to be offering them a more healed generation than the ones that we uh, in inherited. So generational sin didn't cause this man's blindness. But what about his own? Uh, this destructive belief of connecting sin to a specific physical ailment wasn't a popular thought. 
And although, generally speaking, sin is the reason why our world is broken, I mean, it doesn't take much to see this in our society. Just turn on the news. We choose violence over peace, hate over love, exclusion instead of embrace. Sin is the cause of suffering, broadly speaking. But discerning sin to be a direct cause for a physical ailment was uncommon. And Jesus agrees with this sentiment because he pushes against the idea of connecting sin with this man's blindness by answering the disciples' question. It was not that this man's sin or his parents. Jesus then finish, finishes his answer by saying, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, it only takes a few questions about verse 3 to find ourselves opening Pandora's box. We'll quickly be in a conversation about an all-powerful God and the existence of evil. And instead of talking about God and the existence of evil this morning, which Katie touched upon last week, we'll be focusing on the story about the blind man who receives sight. But if this topic about God and the existence of evil is really weighing on you, please reach out to one of the pastors here. I'm sure they'll be delighted to have this light, light conversation with you over several cups of coffee. Thanks, Pastor Matt. <laughs> now, the bulk of this morning's message centers around not the miracle itself, but the person who experienced it. So from verses 6 through 38, the spotlight is centered on the man whose sight is restored. And since the healed man takes center stage, our attention will be there as well. Now, returning to John chapter 9, Jesus makes mud and wipes it on the blind man's eyes without any mention of the two exchanging words. And after Jesus dabs mud on the man's eyes, this unnamed man faithfully listens to Jesus' direction to wash his face at the pool of Siloam. And as, as soon as he washes his face, the person receives sight for the first time in his life. Jesus' mud mask healed this man's vision. And this extraordinary act bewilders people from his community, so much so that they, they question if this is the same person. And here's a weird thing. Instead of celebrating what had happened to their neighbor, they bring him to the Pharisees for an interrogation. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And so the Pharisees grill him question after question, just trying to figure out what happened to this man. Who did this to you? What did this person do to restore your sight? Tell us what happened. The formerly blind man stands firm, by his testimony. He put mud on my eyes, I washed them, and now I see. His testimony can't be any clearer than that. But this isn't enough for the Pharisees to rationalize the situation in their minds. Not only is this miracle uh, in itself uh, just so wild, but they're trying to understand exactly how it happened and who did this. And because Uh, It didn't happen on some random day. This man was healed on the Sabbath, a day of rest. Sabbath means that no one can do any work. In the eyes of the Pharisees, making mud is considered to be kneading, like when you're making bread, and this isn't allowed on the Sabbath. So when Jesus made mud, he technically worked in the eyes of the Pharisees. 
And not only that, uh, Jesus heals this man, which is also not allowed on the Sabbath. And as a friendly reminder, healing on the Sabbath Sabbath was a strict no-no at the time because Sabbath was considered to be a holy day. And because of this, Jesus, uh, the religious leaders labeled Jesus as a sinner. But just something doesn't add, add up to them. This man, who was once blind, now can see. The Pharisees are wondering, how is this possible? How can a sinner perform such signs? They're trying to wrap their minds around this conundrum, but they just can't. They need a second opinion. So they, they seek more information by talking to this man's parents. But the news doesn't bode well for the religious leaders. The parents confirm about their son being blind from birth. And they suspect that it was Jesus who restored this man's sight. But they didn't want to disclose this information to the Pharisees. I mean, who can blame them? The religious leaders had a reputation to kick people out of the synagogue if anyone acknowledges Jesus as Messiah. The next thing, they send uh, the Pharisees back to the son because the son was old enough to answer their questions. And at this point, I can imagine the band of flustered Pharisees squabbling with each other, trying to rationalize what had happened. And so the religious leaders summon the healed man for a second time and demand him to tell the truth. And they indeed receive the truth from him, but they refuse to accept it. (laughs) Golly, this guy just cannot catch a break. I mean, before he received sight, he was considered to be an outsider. And after being healed, he was estranged by some of his neighbors. Then the Pharisees refused to accept this man's firsthand experience because they couldn't reconcile his situation in their minds. So they disqualify him and his testimony altogether, and as a final act, they hurl shameful remarks at him and throw him out of his presence. What's happening between the Pharisees and this um, formerly blind man is somewhat reminiscent of what can happen between the church and people with disabilities today. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I began reading a book called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. My Body is Not a Prayer Request by Amy Kenny. This is such a powerful and provocative uh, title, if you ask me. Uh, Amy is a disabled scholar and a Shakespeare lecturer. Uh, To get around, she uses a wheelchair and a mobility scooter. Uh, Her book reveals hurt and deep wounds committed by the church because of its treatment towards people with disabilities. Uh, In in the opening chapter of Amy's book, uh, she shares a horrific story about a woman insisting on praying for her physical healing as if her body needed fixing. This woman who was a complete stranger to Amy, assumed God desired able bodies over disabled bodies. Amy quickly detected this bias towards ableism in this woman's seemingly well-intentioned prayer. And so she politely declined. Hey, no thanks. I'm, I'm all set. And then the woman be, began berating her by saying, you need to hear that God wants to heal you. If you stopped resisting, you would be free already. Oh, that stings. 
And of course, as Christians, we believe in God's healing power, but we also can't know what healing looks like in this life. It may not look like someone being fully healed from a physical disability in this life. And a healing might happen in our lives, minds, and bodies in a way that looks different from that. As Christians, we can't claim that we can always understand how, when, or why God might heal us in some ways and not others. But healing in our way isn't the point here. Stories from Amy's book help me to understand the kinds of experiences people with disabilities have in our church. And as Christians, so many of us intentionally or unintentionally otherize our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with disabilities. I mean, maybe we don't make eye contact with them. Sometimes we avoid them altogether. Maybe it's the church building that doesn't accommodate people with physical impairments. Some of us may use language that dishonors them. I mean, personally, I'm trying to remove words like lame or dumb from my vernacular because that shames people with mobile and speech impairments. And I don't want to ostracize, or I don't want to inadvertently ostracize my siblings in Christ with disabilities because of my poor word choices. And although we don't believe in the direct causation between sin and a physical ailment like the Pharisees, some of us may have to check ourselves from falling into the misconception that God somehow favors able bodies over disabled ones. Some of us may have been incorrectly taught that having a disability means that there's something inherently wrong with that person. And Church, let me be abundantly clear about this. We need to completely stomp this out. All bodies are made in the image of God. Jesus died and rose again for all. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of Christians with all abilities and disabilities. Our bodies, however we're made, are called to be living sacrifices, sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. Full stop. So Amy's book is helping me to understand a more accurate representation of what the body of Christ looks like and how it can honor sisters and brothers with disabilities. Her testimony shaped my view of how church can often otherize people with disabilities by favoring traditionally abled bodies. And as this comes to our attention, we can repent, ask forgiveness, and reconcile in order to start loving our neighbors with disabilities as Christ loves them. Then, and only then, both disabled and abled bodies can holistically rejoice in God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ. And celebrating God's work uh, through the healing of the blind man is a missed opportunity for the Pharisees back in John chapter 9. So if you remember, the Pharisees completely dismiss this man's testimony and ultimately reject him by throwing, them up, by throwing him out of their presence. They miss out on the unbelievable miracle this man experienced. 
And as they otherize this healed man, they disqualify themselves from rejoicing uh, in the works of God that's visible in broad daylight. And during this conversation about this healed man, Jesus isn't around or doesn't say much until the very end. Either way, Jesus returns to the scene uh, when this man is cut off from the presence of the Pharisees. Jesus asks if he believes in the Son of Man. The man responds to Jesus by asking, can you reveal the Son of Man? And Jesus tells him that he has seen him. He has seen him. Here, Jesus is implying that not only does this man acknowledge Jesus right now as the Son of Man, the long-awaited Messiah, but he has recognized him before this, in, uh, before this moment. When Jesus uh, commanded the blind man t- uh, to wash his face in the pool uh, in Siloam, he trusted Jesus by following his direction. As, he heal- as, he, as the healed man was interrogated by the Pharisees, he boldly sh- uh, shared his encounter with Jesus. And as religious leaders came back uh, the second time, demanding the truth from him, the man with restored vision doubled down on his testimony. The healed man's faith was on full display for, all, for everyone to notice. He has recognized Jesus since his first interaction with him and continues to believe in, in him now. The works of God are displayed in this man. And this is not only true for this man, but this is also true for us. Because the works of God are disclosed to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Son of God clearly demonstrated a harmonious life with God the Father and God the Spirit. Jesus fulfilled the uh, law of the Old Testament by loving, his, uh, loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving his neighbor as himself. And he extended mercy and compassion to those on the fringes of society and to, the, and to those who are in the heart of it. Jesus' invitation to be with him, to abide with him, to rely on him as Savior is a standing invitation for all of us. Everyone can come to the cross as we are. And at the cross is where Jesus takes our sin and shame once and for all. Amen. So what about Henry and Trevor? What ever happened to them? Well, the hospital staff allowed Trevor to enter into the golden room to eat with Henry. Uh, Henry described the lunch atmosphere to be uh, quiet and a bit solemn. As they were eating, Trevor stood up with a glass of Coke in the air, wanting to propose a toast. The room went completely silent as eyes darted towards Trevor. And Henry noticed puzzled and somewhat anxious faces across the room. And people were on their toes, uh, preparing themselves for Trevor's next move. Uh, Trevor invited everyone to lift their glasses, and everyone cautiously obeyed. No one would expect what would happen next. Trevor started singing. When you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. As he sang, the anxiety in the room evaporated and people started to smile. 
One by one, doctors, clergy, hospital staff started to follow Trevor's lead. When you're happy and you know it, raise your glass. Trevor transformed the mood of the room from stiff to joy. He made this space feel hospitable. And this is how Henry describes uh, Trevor after the whole room sang together. His beautiful smile and fearless joy had broken down the barriers between staff and patients and created a happy family of caring people. With his unique blessing, Trevor set the tone for a joyful and fruitful meeting. If the hospital staff continued to bar Trevor from the Golden Room, all the guests would have missed God's blessing through Trevor. If they continued to ostracize him or otherize him, the lunch experience could have remained solemn and stiff. But with the help of Henry, and uh, the staff let Trevor in. And Trevor came as he was, his whole self. And God's presence, and God's presence through Trevor impacted everyone in that room. And the goodness and mercy of God were just as present in Trevor as they were in Henry, a renowned scholar. So church, what about us? What about us? Who are we otherizing just because they are different from us? These, people might, uh, these might be people who are younger than us or maybe older. Perhaps we otherize people with uh, a different skin tone, gender, or body type. Maybe it's people with vis- visible disabilities or invisible disabilities. How can we listen to the witness of Christians who we tend to otherize? And please be reminded that all of us have a role to play in the body of Christ. We experience God in powerful ways when we stop our talking and listen to those who are different from us. And to miss out on the wisdom and experience of God in others is to miss out on witnessing the glory of God displayed through the beautiful diversity of God's people. And what about those who are being otherized? It's a terrible feeling to be dismissed, misunderstood, or completely ignored. And I want to recognize the hurt and the shame that's associated of of being otherized. And it's never easy to be there. And if this is you, if there are things about you, your physical body, your mental health, choices that uh, allow others to label you in a negative way, or if you've been in a group and felt less than or excluded because of these things about you, be rest assured that your dignity and humanity as an image bearer of God cannot be stripped away. However, it's the church. The church certainly has a long journey ahead of itself to recognize the humanity of people it has dismissed. And since this is a growing area for the church, we need to make room at the Lord's table to listen to the diverse testimonies of all Christians. And then, when Christ returns, all things are made new. And together, we'll sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him.
And the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can come to you as we are, our whole selves, all either we're abled or disabled, we can come to you as we are. We thank you that invitation is there. We thank you for the testimony of the, of the man who had been healed from his blindness, Lord. And that this testimony just is, a, is evidence of your glorious works. And so may we be encouraged uh, this morning to, to praise your name, Lord, to share our whole selves to you and with each other. So we give you all the glory and praise, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.